When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hardcore Surf History. For over half a century, the surf shop has been the dominant force in shaping surf culture. Many of us grew up with our dreams fed by the images and words from the magazines, films, and videos, but entering the surf shop as a grommet is where you experience the soul of surf culture. It might be a stretch to liken the surf shop to a holy place, but I imagine very few longtime surfers aren't transformed to a state of grace by the smell of resin, coconut, and neoprene. At the same time, Surf shops are places of commerce that provide a basic good. And nowadays, you don't have to leave home to get that good. So, does this mean we don't need surf shops anymore? Or is our need for houses of the holy greater than ever? In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. This is Hardcore Surf History, where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we dive into our Houses of the Holy, the Surf Shop. What have they meant to surfers over the years? How have they shaped surf culture, the history of surf retail, and how they've evolved over time. And of course, we do a little rope-a-dope with Stump My Bro, all on Hardcore Surf History, distributed by the Surf Splendor Network.
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. No, I want to ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you recording? <laughs> I, forgot, I almost forgot to say that, you know, who I was and where I am. <laughs> but I want to ask you, you rope-a-dope. Yeah. Like that's that's Muhammad Ali, isn't it? Yeah, and a little boxing. It, so I always wondered what it was. Isn't it when he kind of like kind of like draws you in and lets you him you hit him a few times and you get tired and then you hit him hard? Is that what rope a dope is? Yeah, like I think you go up on the ropes a little bit. You rest on the ropes and like let them exert energy and draw them in, and then like you pounce on them. Oh, you know, are you gonna rope a dope me? In the in the surf stump, how how are you gonna do that? I might be lulling you into you know all these episodes of my horrible uh, performance and stump my bro. I might just get you with the stinger. Oh, okay. <laughs> a sniper stinger. <laughs> okay, well here's a little one right off the bat on that. <laughs> Apparently, he yeah. always said no. It's not the stinger. Everyone calls it the stinger. It's not the stinger. <laughs> who's you he? know what oh, ben iper ben iper yeah he said he, it's not, not the stinger what is it it's the wing no it's just the sting the sting oh okay but everyone calls it the stinger but it's he said no you know categorically even in his last you know profile in surfers journal he said it's not the stinger it's the sting see i i think marketing wise it sounds better the stinger you know, st- you know, sting tail, stinger. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right, and and I think sting just makes you think of culturally appropriated reggae. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, Actually, um, I like the police. <laughs> I love the police. It was a mix of punk and and reggae, you know, but um. To the topic at hand. Sorry, yeah, it was a bit of back. punk. There was a bit of punk to them. There was a bit of punk. You know, they were con- they were considered slightly punk. 
new age new wave new wave new wave, new wave i mean one. not new age that'd be funny <laughs> well, well no, i think later, sting later on became way more new age music very new age very new age actually <laughs> um so the surf shop um we uh i think are especially equipped to speak about this because our father uh, owns one of the oldest surf shops in New York and possibly on the East Coast. You know, it's over, it's almost 60 years old, you know, uh, the shop. It's getting, it's close to that. And um, we grew up in it. We were in the industry to a certain extent. Uh, went to, I remember my first surf expo was in 1994. So, uh, you know, we, we got to know like how the ins and outs of that business kind of works. So I think, uh, can speak a little bit about it yeah yeah and and you know what's what's funny is that like thinking about it you know when i was thinking about like what's you know i kind of mentioned it in the intro like the feeling that a surf shop would have on you you know like especially with mm -hmm. a grommet you know and i don't know about now but in the 80s it definitely had a vibe when you went into a surf shop and even though it was it was our dad's surf shop you know a place where you should feel like completely at home and you know and whatever i would walk into there and i would get butterflies and it was like entering like a kind of a you know almost like a place that ooh, i wasn't didn't know if i was completely welcome in there or you know it was it was it was i felt really a sense of awe going into the shop when i was younger I I just it, for me it's a very sensory thing, especially when it comes to smell. Mm. You know, it's a the mixture of um, neoprene, surf wax, and resin from new boards, like all mixed in there with like a little bit of like that carpeting smell and drywall. Yeah. Like it's got it's got like this whole thing, and it you know, and it's not. You, it wasn't unique to our shop. Like every surf shop I would go into, it's a familiar smell. Mm -hmm. You know, like we go to Rick's Action Sports, another surf shop, which I always felt like, you know, I was cheating when I went into another surf shop, by the way. <laughs> um, but you'd go in, it would smell amazing. And, you know, it'd always have a vibe and a feel. And like, it was awesome. Or you went into bungers, like it all... It all had like a very similar feel in, in a lot of ways, you know. Um, the question is like, why, why, why are you, you asked in, in the show notes, like, why are surf shops worthy of discussion? Um, mm. Why do you think that is, you know, what, it, what, what is it about the surf shop that is so important for, for surfing and surf culture? Well, like... I think with oh, it's it's really hard to to to, to sum it up. Like I have like so many things I want to say about it, <laughs> but <laughs> like when you go to the when you go surfing, you know, at the actual beach where the, where the waves are and the people are. I mean, obviously that's you know, that's that's the whole deal. That's the real deal. You know, that this the 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 smell and the sounds of the beach, the feel of the water watching people serve pushing through a wave all that is really you know hits upon you um but 
without but this the surf shop like complemented it in such a way that the the ocean and the beach actually couldn't provide the same thing that the surf shop provided and yeah. And you know, I'm 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 not just like you know the actual equipment that you went and bought there, but there was and and the same thing. The magazines and the movies didn't provide the same thing. You know, it was almost like almost like okay, like if you equate religion to it all, you know, like there's life and you know life out in the world and everything, and and that's basically like going surfing. Um. But then, and then you could read, you know, you could read the Bible or the Quran or, 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 or the Torah, what have you. And that would be maybe like <laughs> the magazines and the books. But <laughs> going into the actual church or the temple, you know, where you'd actually go in to a place that human beings have manifested in the image that they believe surfing is. Mm. Some that's what the when I walked into the surf shop it was like this is like the physical manifestation of of surfing, um, the, the human physical manifestation of what surfing is. I I feel like surf shops have been like a meeting place for you know surfing has like all these characters right and a lot of misfits and and it was a meeting place for those people. It was a place of refuge, right? Like especially. In surfing's history, for a long time, surfing was considered like a, a sport of delinquents. Mm. And the surf shop provided that refuge, that place to feel like you belong. And it was, mm -hmm. it was one of the only places you can get your basic surf needs met as well. They were a catalyst for so many aspects of surfing, from meeting new friends to creating and spreading cultural norms to discussing board design to learning surf history and meeting local surfers. It, it also played a huge role in building a surf industry, which in turn built professional surfing, the magazines. And, um, you know, it, I think like if surfboards were like the fuel, the surf shop is like the engine of surf culture, basically. Mm. You know, that's kind of kind of how I see it. And, and I think like it provided so many things and so much of surf culture is built on the surf shop, you know, it really, really played such a huge influence, you know, on like everything from when you're a grommet, you go in there and you could talk to adults, you know, like you would go in there and there'd be someone who worked in the shop and maybe they were, uh, you know, late teens or early twenties. But as a kid, you, you'd be conversing with the grown up almost. Whereas you don't, you didn't get that any other place. Like in school, you're with people your own age surf shop you'd be talking to people from wide range of backgrounds um you know you would be discussing board design there you look at a board you learn you pick up all these different little things um there's also the you know just uh feeling like you belong to somewhere was really really key uh, yeah, you lay out so many so much there right <laughs> to yeah unpack. well i want to go back to one of the things you said in there was you know like uh, uh, the place of refuge, like yeah, on Long Island in the eighties. At least, especially if you lived inland, like we did, you know, it felt really inland. You know, it was half hour yeah. from the beach. T to me, it felt like, oh, you know, I really want to be a part of surfing. You know, like yeah. everything about it, I want to be part of it. You know, I wanted to just just immerse myself in it and take part in it all the time. I don't, 
Whereas just like most of life on Long Island felt so unsurfy and yes. it felt like so far away from it. And it was just like, oh, like everything was just felt so gray and uh, what, you know, like Phil Edwards says, unjazzed. <laughs> but you'd go into a surf shop and it was like this beacon of energy, you know, you could plug into. And it's like, you know, like a little porthole into real surfing. And I love going into all the surf shops like, uh, you know, I remember grandma, you know, she one day in the winter was staying at hers and there was no surf. and we got the yellow pages out and looked up all the surf shops within like a 10 mile radius. And she just drove me to all the surf shops and we hit like wow. six surf shops. And in each one, you know, it was this, it, I felt like I was like stocking up on power, you know, it was, <laughs> and, and you'd get stickers and from all of them and just this, and it was just, it made me feel like, Whoa, this maybe Long Island is a bit surfy. <laughs> You know, it's also funny is like when you go into a surf shop and you almost have to like prove yourself. And if you go into like a new surf shop or a surf shop you're not familiar with or not a familiar face at. And it's like there are always these little testing questions, too. Right. Like, is this person a beginner or are they a decent surfer? And like you're always asking, like, oh, did you surf the other day? And like, oh, yeah, I was over here. And you're always like. I don't want to say a pissing contest, but it is almost like um, you had to know the secret handshake to get in with certain certain shops, you know, and there would be like certain surf shops that would be intimidating to go into and would be kind of nerve wracking. But once you would keep going back and spending time and obviously spending money, you would slowly get accepted. And that's how you would get accepted in the local scene, too, and the local culture of surfing in that area the surf shop was like the the entry point or the gateway to the local surf culture and i mean it really was like enter that's the thing it 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 really was a sense of exclusivity but but inclusivity as well and if you managed to break in you know if you felt really included and that's the thing like you know how surf shop well i remember going to bungers they had the whole wall of like pictures, you know, photographs that they'd all just taken and tacked up on it. And it was, you know, pictures of, you know, local parties, people surfing, a big swell, someone catching a fish. And it's, um, and then one day, you know, like I think, think it was uh, Jesse Faust had taken a picture of me in front of the shop once. And he's, oh no, he, he took it. I don't know how he got it, but there was a picture of me in front of a Woody and he stuck it up on the, on the board there and wrote in a, a, um, a, a cartoon, you know, like a, a bubble, a speech bubble above it saying, you know, I am Jamie, my dad owns sundown, but I'd much rather hang out <laughs> on the wall here in Bungus. <laughs> but I, I felt so I, you're right. I felt accepted into there. Um, and that's now I'm kind of jumping ahead, but yeah, it was, it's, is that a good thing? You know, that it, it, that surf shops kind of had this air of exclusivity and maybe not a very welcoming vibe a lot of times. I, I, you know, it, it, it is funny, right? Like I, I remember when I worked at our shop, you know, our family shop and was there for a while. Like I really 
did everything I could to be make it like as friendly and welcoming as a place as possible, where it wasn't like you weren't feeling judged. Although sometimes I would judge people, I'm not gonna lie. But you would you would wanna, you know, like I try to make it as friendly and, and welcoming as possible. But I don't know, like I think that's just kind of a rite of passage, right? Like I think everyone kind of experiences that when they're new to surfing. You're you're almost never fully accepted into surfing right off the bat. You always have to kind of prove yourself. And I think on one hand, maybe that creates um character. Uh, but yeah, is it, is it exclusive? I mean, I don't know. Like, I think if you spend enough time at a shop, like you become accepted. If you, if you don't go back to that shop or you don't spend time there, then you may not get accepted as much. You know, it's, it's just about being persistent too. And, and throwing it's, around it's, some it's, dollars. I, <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I find it hard to really comment on it because from yeah. my point of view, like if I could go into the surf shop and, and yes, it might be, <laughs> you know, like you get that, it might be hard to break in and not just in the surf shop, but yeah. into, you know, any sort of beach culture back then. Um, but I, you know, I had a chance, you know, like I looked like a surfer. I was, I was a guy, you know, that, that really helped. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, being a guy, yeah. I was blonde. Um, I was a good surfer. I was, you know, look, you know, I, I was physically fit. So, you know, that fit the description. And like you said at the beginning, we had that sense of entitlement to an extent because our dad owned the old surf shop, you know, like for us, if we felt like it was a little bit hard to break in, like, what if you were a girl? What if you were, you know, mm-hmm. a, a person who wasn't white or um, if you were out of shape, let's say, you know, like there was, um, it's interesting because I was reading about um, women's surf shops, you know, like women-owned yeah. surf shops that are catered specifically towards women. And, you know, in the article I read, they said, you know, this article is a little old already, but, yeah, you know, it's about 20 years old, this article, but it was saying that, you know, a lot of, a lot of women felt really uncomfortable going into a lot of surf shops back in the, in the 90s. Um, you know, and they, she, yeah, they said, you know, if it was, they were trying on a wetsuit, there'd be a guy, you know, who just made them feel pretty uncomfortable. And I remember when I was like, I think I was uh, 16 or 17, and I was working at the shop, and this woman was trying on a, a bikini, and she took it into the dressing room, and she came out. I said, oh, you know, like, I wanted to help. I wasn't being creepy. Yeah. I didn't think I was being creepy, <laughs> but I said, you know, oh, you know, how was it? And she said, oh, you know, I didn't like it. So, oh, what was it? Did it not fit right? Did it not here? Do you want it this one? And she's like, no, it's just, I didn't like it. And she left. And then uh, I think it was <laughs> Chris Binder. She came over to me and said, you are not selling bikinis ever again. <laughs> um, that's a little digression. But yeah, so like, I wonder if... Um, it'd be interesting to talk to lots of different people to get their experiences on it. Cause for us, it was, it was hard to get in, but we had a chance, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I think, um, I think it's evolved over time too, you know, to a certain extent. Like I think, um, I think, uh, as, as surf shops have more competition with online, they've had to change and become more, more friendly, more accepting of lots of different people and not mm. be so, um, 
exclusive or snooty or, you know, um, you know, just, or just, yeah, acting like assholes you know, a lot of times. Cause a lot of shops were like that too, though. You know, I remember going into a couple shops where it'd be terrifying and people would make you feel less than, you know, if you didn't know what you're doing or if you didn't, um, you know, if they didn't know you, you'd ask you like condescending, they'd speak to you in a condescending way. Right. Like, I mean, we we talked about this right uh, once where you went out to Cornwall and you went to and you had to go rent a board and this person, they weren't mean and you know, they weren't bad about it. But there's like a condescension to it. And there's like a talking down. Right. Like, well, no, I mean, it, it's funny. I think a lot of it, it's hard to know what what the reality of, of things yeah. were and how much is in your head in because, um, you know, you're saying this, but like. In that particular situation, it was in Devon, for one. But uh, actually, the guy was really friendly at the shop. I, I rented a longboard because the waves were really small. And um, when I brought it back, he said, I, he said, did you have fun? I'm like, yeah, you know, it was great. I, I, you know, I'll probably rent that board again, you know, next time. And he said, ah, the bugs bit you, hasn't it? <laughs> so he was actually being really friendly. But yeah, I yeah. was like, no. <laughs> The bug hasn't bit me. I am the bug. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I got second place in the Atlantic Beach Surf Contest back in 1990. I mean, in the boys' uh, division. <laughs> but it it's it's a it's interesting, and I'm I I think it'd be interesting to kind of discuss like how that's evolved over time, right? Mm. Like the the first surf shop was um Dalevel technically they say it was Dale Velzi's shop right like he's a, he's credited with being the the first surf shop owner uh back in uh, 1951 right like he basically was making boards under the pier and then they were like yeah no you can't do that anymore and that's when he kind of had to be semi respectable but then you had Jack O'Neill who opened a, sh a shop in San Francisco Oh, then, you, if you want to lay out the facts, Tyler, you got to do it right. What? It was should San I, should Francisco, I, right? No, well, that wasn't the second surf shop. I didn't say second, but it was one of the first shops, uh, right? Yeah, but if you want to do it like a, you know, like a, a whistle stop, you know, like um, lay out the timeline quick. All right, <laughs> lay it out. Lay it out for me, buddy boy. <laughs> Well, let's let's start with that that first surf shop, Dale Velzi's first surf shop. Um, yes, you're right. He was he was he was shaping boards underneath the piers, you know, underneath Hermosa Beach Pier in the in forty eight Manhattan Pier in forty nine fifty. Yeah, and he loved it. And they said, yeah, no, you can't do this anymore. Um, but it's weird. So, like, in three different places, I read three different dates. So, yeah. Matt yeah, Washer right? says one thing, Craig Stezik says another thing, and someone else <laughs> says another, and you say a third thing. So Craig, Craig Stezik said it was in 1952. Uh, yeah. Matt says 1950, and you say 1951. So sometimes. Well, actually, it, I even see another one. It said, it said 1949. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so. Early 50s, well, let's just say. Don't they say there is no time but the present? So. Uh, yeah. 
And yeah, that's it. That that was the first formal surf shop, you know, full service location expressly devoted to uh, building and sale of surfboards. But before that, like the kind of the pre pre surf shop thing, you know, like do you know what Catalog. was the first? Well, the, the the very first like actual like physical place that provided surfboards, you know, like for people who actually you know wanted to to get one who didn't like know who didn't know people in the know i i might guess like one of the maybe the the hawaiian outrigger club maybe would that yes yes yeah it was the because they you know they had the there's there's like kind of two or three main well two main surf clubs in waikiki you know the outrigger and the hui nalu and i think duke kanamoku was originally in the hui nalu but then I think it was Alex Xander Hume Ford. I think he uh, kind of stole him and, you know, sponsored him to go around the world in the name of the Outrigger Club. <laughs> um, but yeah, 1910, wow. they they actually like had like a grass shack on the beach and it was run by a person that, with a name that's like two words. His name was Dad Center and he was the <laughs> out, Outrigger Club captain. And he was making redwood boards because they would ship redwoods over to make um oh, something for the sugarcane plantations, and uh, he was shaked up, ashamed. And that that was the first place where a Howley tourist could actually go and get a board. So that was mm. almost like a surf shop there, right? Um, but then they say yeah, after Velzi's, then then Hobie came yeah. up with his shop, and then actually Hobie was the first one to actually he. You probably know, you know, he he's the first person to actually build a building that was expressly yes. for surf shops. Um, exactly. And then before Jack O'Neill's, do you know who the third uh, third surf shop owner was? No. It was Stumped Gordon question. Gordon Dwayne. You know, Gordy surfboards and uh, surfboards by Gordy and Huntington, and he was supposedly quite a intimidating character. <laughs> there's uh i mean he's go yeah, on they say, yeah well they say well just like well, apparently you know if there was a there was a rope that he would hang up you know kind of delineating the area you were allowed to cross if you were invited or not you know i think you could go into the shop but if you wanted to go into that one step further into the shop you know maybe where he was actually shaping the boards that's uh but but anyway back to jack o'neill now that's when i'll shut yeah. up uh yeah <laughs> He's the first, apparently, he might be the first person to have a surf shop that didn't just sell surfboards. Like, he sold surfboards right. and his wetsuits. Wet so that might be the first, you know, kind of. The other would be, one of the first would be um, Nancy Caton, actually, was, like, in up there. Mm. And the Caton's, Caton by, Canvas by Caton. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she actually, I think, probably helped create like a certain hangout model at her shop because she would have like a couch and chairs for all the surfers to hang out in, you know? I oh, mean, really? I'm sure like, yeah, it was really interesting. I was reading about it. I was like, oh my God, like that, that sounded like Bunger Surf Shop. They had the couch and the TV with all the VHSs all set and how many other surf shops I would see with like couches and try to create like a lounge vibe where you just hang out and spend your time there. I mean, it's, it's it's interesting. It's it's interesting to see all the different characters um, that did the shops. Right, Velzi was like quite a 
a charmer for sure, right? Like he was someone who was like a very charismatic person, um, almost used car salesman-esque quality to him, I've read. You know, very, 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 uh, very colorful personality. But then you you talk about Hobie Alter, who was very business-minded and definitely brought a certain professionalism to the shop. Um, you know, and then you you mentioned Gordy, who m- gave this intimidation to the shop. And those are like the key elements and ingredients to a surf shop today, I feel like. And have been What's like that? fun. Oh, all those things mixed together. All those personalities mixed together have created, like, evolved into what shops have followed, like the template in many places around the world. You know, it's like a little bit of professionalism. Got to keep the the, the lights on. You got to sell the boards. But you also have a little bit of that kind of, you know, cool, charismatic, colorful character in the shop. And then you also have a little bit of that intimidation factor. Was it like all the different kind of ingredients for surf shops of today? Well, essentially, you mentioned like the, you know, the different surf shop owners, you know, and like, and there's other, you know, like you think about, you know, Chuck Dent and, you know, stuff yes. like that. Like, um, you know, how like the surf shop was almost, you know, I think I said it, you know, in the note I sent you, it was like a, a vehicle for an extension of the, 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 the surf shop owner's personality or or ego or you know like it kind of um i mean even was it like uh, you know and some people i think got into the whole surf shop business like solely for that reason maybe you know i don't know uh you know david nueva had a, a surf shop and i think yeah. that was it was very much you know like the extension of his personality uh, i don't think it lasted very long but um just the idea like i can imagine back then I would have been like, yes, let's go to the Dave and Nueva surf shop to get some of that <laughs> magic fairy dust dripped on us, well, you know? You ever see the picture of like Mike Hinson's shop and like how fucking like it looked like a temple almost. It that was wasn't like... a surf shop. That was a <laughs> a juice and sandwich shop. Um, so, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah. Mike Hinson had this amazing like, you know, kind of, you know, like healthy juice and vegetarian restaurant that he cafe that him and um melinda merriweather built his wife and they commissioned oh i forget who it was i think it's the person who actually did a lot did the art on his book on his autobiography they yeah like you said it looked like this kind of gaudi-esque temple like space age hippie bendy walls and everything and (laughs) surfboard fins there and but that that wasn't a surf shop. Uh, it was yeah. um, Rainbow Juices. But he I had. I surf thought it was a surf there. shop. He had he surf had stuff to... in it. You but know. It's, uh... Well, that's um, that <laughs> is also a very interesting segue, though, into like the different amalgamations of of surf shops because you need different revenue streams, right? And so you have the. <laughs> Coffee. Mike Henson's revenue stream. <laughs> well, he had a few a uh, few revenue streams. Let's you know we can talk about the, the but, few uh, uh, surf shops which had various <laughs> revenue streams. <laughs> but I mean, you had like, you know, you had shops who had you know, Ron John had a cafe in it, and Saturdays did a coffee shop in theirs. You know, and some were ski and surf shops. 
some were ski, surf, and patio stores, <laughs> you mm. know, uh, beach stuff. I mean, gift, you know, there's so many different, there are different ways to do a surf shop, actually. And they all don't have to look the same either. Well, I guess that's, you know, this kind of like, I think this drives to the heart of something that like uh, any longtime surf and actually probably any, even, even people now, I think who start surf shops with a, with a bit of a dream, you know, they, if you, when people start a surf shop, they're probably not initially thinking this would be a great way to make money. They probably no. have this dream <laughs> no. where you can imagine that a lot of surf shop owners yeah. have a dream for what their dream surf shop would be like. And because like when you've been to like a dream surf shop, it's it, it almost all the things you've been describing, like a place to go and hang out, you know, a place to go and talk, a place to get information, you know, a place to meet interesting characters, you know, in a way like a surf shop, there's so many things that it does that don't bring in profit. No, <laughs> and, you know, don't bring in any revenue. Um like you really just want to go there and hang out and you almost, and you don't want a surf shop to be like super efficient. You don't want the surf shop people to try and do the hard sell. You, you want them to have really good stuff in there. You don't want to, um, it's almost like surf shops should exist. They should be, you know, I feel like a surf shop ideally should be uh, subsidized because it does provide a greater good. Well, it's like a community center in many ways. Mm, exactly. It was also a place for latchkey kids to go hang out, you know, when after school. Like, so a great example of this is um, Unsound Surf Shop in in Long Beach, New York, which is a shop here in New York. But it's it's fucking awesome what they built and did. Mm. But they were the place that Balaram Stack would go and hang out after school and spend time and just. It was almost like daycare, right? Like the surf shop was kind of like daycare in many ways. But the doors they opened for him and then to see him win the Pipe Masters recently, you know, all of that stems from the surf shop and the doors that the shop opened and the shops that would sponsor local surfers and promote local surfers and get sponsorship deals and all these things. It was like, it was, there's so many services that the surf shop provides that it doesn't make money on it's kind of wild when you think about it you know they they are the talent scouts for the they were the talent scouts for the big surf brands not anymore surf surf brands don't you know <laughs> sponsor surfers as much anymore but you know they were like the talent scouts they were also the places for marketing they were the places to gather and get news i remember before the internet you know we i remember learning of todd chester's passing from a fax that i read in long beach surf shop you know with lenny there who had the shop and i remember like finding out all this news right away or that's where you'd get the surf report how many surf shops had like a surf report you'd call into Right. Oh. Yes, you call up on the phone and hear the the different surfer yeah, on the on the voice on the on the voicemail the answering machines. And remember I mean, when I, we went to um when we when we went to Baja and we stopped in. I mean, this is a big corporate surf shop, but we stopped in at the Rip Girl Surf Shop in San Clemente and we spoke to them and asked them, you know, advice on you know like where to go and they, you know, they wrote stuff down on a map and they gave us the the surf the report printout and everything. It was uh, yeah, you you check in. 
And and I loved how you could go into surf shop and you'd bump into people you hadn't seen in a while, and it was all that. And remember that? Did you see the the Matt Archibald movie? You know, built to built for speed. Built for speed. Yeah, yeah. And like they talked dip. about the surf shop that uh, that they would all hang out at and cook burgers in the parking lot, and it was like I I wonder like actually I saw a video on on YouTube it was about a surf shop in um northern california which is very community oriented and they mm-hmm. they're very proactive i think maybe back see i think the thing is is that rent has gotten so expensive in so many beach towns yeah that it must have been hard for a surf shop to still be all those things without also having to focus on profit but i guess they they still they maybe surf shops actually are more proactive about uh forging community now than they used to be i don't know well well it's it's interesting so surf shops i think today have have you know there's a lot of different iterations for them and mm. you can go to huntington surf and sport and you go in there and it's like i mean no offense to them it's a it's an insane shop but it feels corporate it feels it doesn't feel like a place I want to hang out in, to be honest, a whole lot. You know, they just have a ton of goods. They have a ton of product. But it's not real. To me, at least, I, when I was there, I didn't feel like I wanted to hang out there a whole lot. You mm-hmm. know, and the boards were kind of hidden away in the back upstairs, I feel like. And it was just all clothing. And it, it just felt like a, re- a really good, well-run retail store. A phenomenal retail store. And they do sponsor surfers still. They have a surf team. There's still, there probably is still a lot of community to it, but there are some shops that, you know, have to be more of a business than they are a shop. Look at Ron John's. It's like one of the, what they used to call it, like the eighth wonder of the world or whatever. Like you'd see those billboards, you know, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. And it was such a massive thing. And it's not, and, and, you know, and a lot of local surfers rail against it. Don't call it like a real surf shop, but it probably was responsible for introducing so many people to surfing and the surf lifestyle, and also was very formative in the surf industry and really helped boost the surf industry. I mean, how many brands got their start probably in a Ron John's? Hmm. Um, you know, so I mean, there's there's that corporate aspect to it for sure, where you can make good money. But then you look at shops like uh, Pilgrim, right? Like Pilgrim is like a cathedral of surf shops. It's stunning. It's beautiful. It's clean. It's uh, got gorgeous, uh, you know, displays. Uh, the boards there are stunning. And they do a lot of great community events. And it's probably one of the most welcoming surf, welcoming surf shops I've ever been to. You know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what your background, what your your ethnicity or beliefs or whatever, like you go in there, like it's, it's awesome in that regard. But the, the, the original iteration of it was mollusk, which was totally different, you know, where it was a tiny shop that, uh, Chris pay, Chris, our friend who runs Pilgrim, probably paid like 600 bucks a month for rent. And our friend, Mike Matchmer was like the main guy there and he could vibe you, you know, <laughs> but also, you know, that was probably because he was really high a lot of the time too. <laughs> but they did all these cool events and movie screenings and met, I met so many of my friends there. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of different iterations of surf shops out there, I think. And they provide different services for people. 
and we will be right back. And now back to our show. Um, what I, yeah, how I, are, find I mean, that's right yeah. now, like how are surf shops doing as a whole? Um, I, I, I like uh, on in general, how are surf shops doing? Do you know? I, I think, um, you know, gone are the salad days, you know, where surf shops were the only place you could get surf gear, you know, that's probably was like the eighties and nineties. You know, I think was the, you know, surf shops were the only places you can get surf gear. And then in the 2000s and internet, people could start to order online and they don't even need to step foot into a surf shop to get all the gear that they need. Um, I think the surf industry is is definitely contracted and you have uh, the big companies like Billabong Quicksilver owned by private equity. And so they are not really beholden to the surfers so much as they are beholden to the investor. And so, but, but like, have, that's all like the, yeah. but, but do you know, like have surf shops, are they doing well? Have a lot of them closed? I really, I'm really out of touch on this, but I know like some, some did great during the pandemic because it was one of the places, you know, you get wetsuits, boards, everyone took up surfing. So I think they actually did really well during the pandemic after once they were able to start selling and opening up and letting people in. I mean, our dad had a phenomenal year that year of the pandemic. He was so busy. You know, the surf shop did really well, actually. So mm. I, I think like, I think they did fairly well. I think there's a lot of competition, but I also I think there's a lot of great opportunities for shops too. And I think a lot of them are rethinking how they do a surf shop. So my buddy Nigel owns a shop here called Station RBNY, and he's trying to make it a. It, he's a. He's a. Um, you know, he's a uh, black owner businessman. You know, owns surf shops, so it's become like a place where a lot of people of different uh, ethnicities feel comfortable going. His main mm -hmm. business is renting boards. He rents boards and he rents lockers for the boards. And so that is like a really nice steady stream of, um, of business for him. So that's, it's really interesting. It's a really small shop, but he's got lockers in the back and places for people to get changed. And he's providing an incredible service to a lot of people. Um, there's the, um, I forgot the name of this place. It's in um, like Newport Beach. And I, it's, it's like a surf club. And you pay a membership fee and you can go and take out. They have all these boards you can just take out whenever you want to go surf. And they have wetsuits and all these things. And they sell stuff, but they also, it's just like a membership. And you get to go and they do all these events. So I think like surf shops are, are evolving into different. They're exploring different revenue streams and different ways they can be done. Uh, they don't have to be purely um you know retail even anymore they can be places where people pay a membership fee and go borrow boards and have access to things and you know and get that that still though that community feel to it though so i i think oh, shops good. Are doing, yeah oh. let me ask you this um mm -hmm. here's a question i really tried to find this and i found it really difficult is finding the first surf shop to open in australia uh, I couldn't find that either. I, I was looking for that. Um, and 
Yeah, and I, I, I looked, yeah, I tried to find that. Um, I mean, I know that, I, you know, I know of some old surf shops from Australia, but uh, I don't, I don't know which the first ones were. The, uh, the same one thing I, the East Coast, I couldn't find out the first ones from the East Coast. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think um, the first surf shop, or one of the first surf shops in Australia, was the Loveless Surf Shop in Torquay. Actually, um, they um, they opened in the fifth in the late fifties, uh, early sixties. Oh, shop, ago. yeah. And I was reading that was like uh, one of the first surf shops. Uh, Don and Faye Loveless opened it. Uh, I thought that was yeah. yeah that it's was interesting because you would have thought I, in, it would have been in a warmer place because uh, that was you know pre wetsuits and water's pretty cold in Turkey. Yeah, and and you you also yeah. would have thought that information would be out there more. You right, know, yeah, like you here you know Velzi is revered as like uh, you know Velzi and. Uh, and Hobie and uh, Jack O'Neill and even Gordon, Gordy, you know, they're like kind of uh, Rushmore-like figures, you know, in the sport. But let let me ask you, um, this is something we didn't even talk really about. We should have this define a surf shop. What what defines a surf shop? What is what are the parameters that make it a surf shop? What oh, do you I have to it's... have in there? You the I think the only thing well I think you have to yeah do, you have to have surfboards but do you have to sell them or can you rent them because like you know at, at the beach in in England a lot of the surf beaches there are shops to rent surfboards and yeah. rent you know equipment you could buy wax and stuff but they don't have surfboards to buy there and I never think of those places as surf shops even though you walk in and it smells of wax and there's um, there's you know leashes on the wall and stuff. I I never think of those as surf shops because you can't buy a surfboard there. And by the same token, you know, like was it Pack Sun? You know, what was it yeah. back in the eighties? Pack you know, Sun, Tilly's, um, you know, all of those. Yeah, yeah. I I never considered those surf shops. You know, if they if they didn't sell surfboards, there wasn't a surf shop. So that's to me what a surf shop is. On the most mm-hmm. basic, but but I say the most basic, but also on a very guttural level, like go into a shop if they don't have surfboards for sale, it doesn't feel like a surf shop. What about, why? What do you, do you have a... Well, like here? there's a shop here in Rockaway, locals, um, they do surf lessons and they have lockers, but it's a cafe that they have and they have some boards for sale. Would you oh, consider well, that a surf shop? There's like how five many boards, boards <laughs> like five or six boards, like normally... Not that Are many. They they tend to, with they're lined up. Price tags but every, on them? But Yeah, they got some of their own T-shirts. Um, I it's don't. A surf shop. I don't. Yeah, right. But it's a cafe too, so it's like a. It's an interesting thing, right? Like there's. Well, so there's a like there's a, a guitar and coffee shop. There's a coffee shop near me, and you know they've got a bunch of guitars on the wall that you can buy, and but they also have a place to sit and have coffee and cake and stuff. So I, I think you'd call that a guitar shop. Yeah, um, I suppose if it pulls one direction too much in the food direction, maybe it's starting to become a cafe slash surf shop. <laughs> do you do you like um you you asked a question and and I, I, I think we should explore is like have there been any aspects of surf shops that the negative impacts on surfing and surf culture? And we kinda like we're dancing on this a little earlier, hmm. but 
didn't outright say it. Like, do you think there's any negative aspect to the surf shop? Well, I think if if you were somebody like, and that's the thing, I can't speak from experience, but and and some people might this see, see this as a good thing, but if you were someone who felt that they couldn't get the necessary equipment to go surfing and the necessary information to go surfing mm-hmm. because of intimidation, um, then I think it was a bad thing. Like, you know, I, I think that although I love uncrowded waves and I, I love, you know, I think, you know, I think obviously I think people should be respectful of, you know, of, of different rules and norms and culture in general. Like, you shouldn't be intimidated from doing it. So that that would have been one thing if that's what was happening mm. for for a lot of people. I, I would say that there's some negative in terms of like some shops can be somewhat negligent in how they sell boards to people and equipment, you know, mm. where they're just trying to make a sale as opposed to getting the person the right board or right equipment. I can't tell you how many times I... I remember being in the shop and, and, and almost like, I don't want to say arguing with, with customers, but like there was a customer who'd come in, never surfed before, but wanted a shortboard. And I'd be like, no, you, you're not going to do this. I'm not going to sell you a shortboard. You're going to need this board. You're going to need a bigger board. You need a mid-length, a fun board, whatever you want to call it. I'm not selling you a shortboard because you've never surfed. It's going to make your surfing look shitty, you know? And, and but there would be a shop who would sell that no problem they would have they wouldn't think anything of it you know ah but tyler you want (laughs) those kind of surf shops they they were providing a win-win situation (laughs) they were being welcoming to the people so they didn't intimidate people and then when those people went surfing, you think, oh, shit, you know, here come the crowds, but they couldn't catch any waves. So it was the coup <laughs> camouflage. So in a way, I think those guys were doing the, the best service. <laughs> They're doing the Lord's work, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's that like, because I think like that's where surf shops are important is to educate the people who are new <laughs> and coming in. I think it's an important aspect and so sometimes shops don't always do that well no but but yeah. is that just them uh being the offspring of um dale velzy oh uh, yeah yeah it could be that's a good point for sure did, did you hear what he would do with a surfboard what would he do tell me right he, he would he would basically you know, I, I forgot you know i was actually reading real anecdotes and he would yeah um you know, say, you know, what size board are you looking for? I'm looking for a, a, an 8.6 or a 9.0 probably. And he'd have a 9.3 there, a 9.6, and he'd hold up the tape measure and he'd hold it just the right way. And be, yep, 9.0 right there. There's your 9.0. And it obviously wouldn't be that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and he I also, I think he had a model called the New Shape. And so it doesn't matter how old it was, but it was always called the new shape. <laughs> like naming your band free beer or something like <laughs> Do you, do you think like you surfboard sh- uh, salesman and used car salesman were similar? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that nobody ever tried to sell a used board. You always just be like, Oh yeah, you could get that. But you know, the consignment rack. <laughs> 
<laughs> I would, I would, I mean, I mean, we would have the surf swap sale where I would have to sell the used boards so that that person selling the used board would get the credit so that they could buy a new board from us. So uh, well, that that's the other great thing about surf shops is when, when like uh, a classic board would come into the shop on consignment and it, you know, the, the person selling it didn't realize, especially you know, back in the in the day, probably now, maybe people are more savvy about uh, you know what's a collector's item or not. But sometimes a, a, a like a lightning bolt would come into the shop. They'd be like, "Yeah, can you get rid of this for fifty bucks?" And you're like, ah, "I tell you what, I'll just buy it from you right now." <laughs> yeah, I did and it was that so exciting when that that would happen. <laughs> I got a sunset sting for like two hundred bucks. I remember they came in; it was in mint condition. And it's fucking uh, I like what you're calling it now. I know, right? I'm trying to adjust. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, there. But then you'd get some people who who had overinflated opinions of their boards. They would come in and be like, "This should, this is, this is Duke Conamoke on it. It should be like a fifteen hundred dollar board." And it was like a pop out one, you know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> or this is a Jerry Lopez Costco special, you know. Come on. <laughs> no, you. I mean, that's the thing. Like surf shops. Back to what you're saying. You know, the negative yeah. impact. I mean, they. One could argue that surf shops, because they had so much influence on the surf culture, they had a greater responsibility. Um, so a really cool surf shop could really have a profound effect on the, um, the surf community, but a shit one could have a shit effect on it. Totally. Totally. And. Have you, like, let me ask you this, like, when you go to the UK, mm-hmm. and you go to, you're, the, you're there, and you go into a surf shop, do you feel like it's any different than, than, like, in the US, or going into surf shops in other parts of the world? Have you felt mm. they're the same or different? I, they do feel pretty similar. Um, yeah. I And maybe now more so than ever, because... You know, just the we're in the we're in the post information age, aren't we? You know, like just mm. you know, like I think back in the well, I was reading. I think I think Matt said it in the EOS that up until maybe the late seventies, uh, a lot of surf shops would focus on carrying you know one, maybe two surfboard brands, but no more. Yeah. Um, yes. And then, so like different surf shops would have you know a, a different feel because they just had different boards and also like i i remember you know you, you'd go to a certain area and everyone in one beach would be surfing the same type of board uh, mm-hmm. the same brand same shaper or one or two shapers then you'd go a few beaches down or a, a few towns down and, and you'd see people riding completely different boards you know like at at long beach in the in the late 80s you'd see everyone was riding jps you know and then you go sons. to, uh, yeah, New Sun's a little bit later than that. And then when I went to yeah. Manasquan in 88, everybody who was anybody out was, was riding Michael Barron. Um, and then, you know, I imagine if you went down to parts, you know, in Florida, you'd see people just riding Quiet Flights or Ocean Avenues or uh, Natural Arts or Keckley's or something, you know, like back then, maybe you'd have more localized type of stuff, whereas... Now, you know, if I go into a surf shop here, actually, I, it's probably coming back. Now there's people getting into hand shapes again. But 
Yeah, I don't know. It feels... Well, you came, you know, when we went to that really big surf shop. Um, yeah. That that felt like a American surf shop, didn't it? Down the line. Down the line. Down the line. Great shop. Yeah. What a great yeah, shop. Great shop. But that could have been yeah. San Diego. It could have been... Uh, it could have been Long Beach Island, you know? You know? I remember... Did you go into any shops when you were in Bali? over there yeah and back then i mean this, this is 98 like uh, most of the surf shops were like just um you know there's like a rip curl shop and there was a, a quicksilver mm. shop and a billabong shop and um it didn't feel very balinese <laughs> yeah say. no it, it, well, and it i totally, went to yeah interestingly when i went to i went to a surf shop in buenos aires in 2003 and they just had they had rip curl and billabong clothing but it was like really nice cold weather billabong and rip curl clothing that i'd never seen before and i remember thinking like oh wow here they have maybe they get better (laughs) stuff not just board shorts it it's remarkable um you know that i because i feel like wherever i've gone in the world and gone into a surf shop it feels similar for the most part, yeah. I remember oh, going. Can I interrupt? And, sorry, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll shut up. I just because it came into my head, like yeah. I was reading on that note. Like I was just reading a few few issues back in Surfers Journal. They had a profile in um, Mike Lamont, you know, in in South Africa, and mm-hmm. he they showed his surf shop in the seventies, and it looked just like sundown in the seventies. It had the yeah. wood paneling going on an angle. It had lightning Slap bolts. Ball. <laughs> yeah, Sawells that had lightning bolt surfboards with the uh, rip curl wetsuits in there, and I was like, that that could be Long Island in nineteen seventy yeah. seven as well. So it's yeah, it's sorry. remarkable. Just, uh... No, it's true. It's like remarkable. I remember being in Chile and going to shops there and hanging out, and it, it felt the same. Um, you know, going into shops, you know, in other parts of the world, I remember just feeling like, oh yeah, this feels like. It feels like any shop anywhere almost. Like there's a couple of the products might be different. The boards might be a little different. Um, but never, they they all had flannel. They all had board shorts, you know? It's like. It's, well, maybe that was. Little, yeah. Maybe that was a bad thing about surf shops in one way is yeah. that they were homogenizing the culture around the world. Hmm. Whereas maybe now, maybe some surf shops are, maybe because the surf industry is kind of not as big a thing anymore, maybe now they're starting to become a little bit more indigenous in places. I don't know. I haven't been to too many surf shops lately, to tell you the truth. It's possible. I um, I just, I want to, it's I'm kind of jumping off the topic here a little, but I do want to just read this one great description on going back to the Ron John surf shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so great. The, the giant, so everyone, if you're not familiar, Ron John is like this massive store in Cocoa Beach. It runs 24 7. It's always open, it never closes. And it's massive, like three, four floors. They have elevators. It's, it's huge. And they got everything. And the description I read is it's, they described it as the Death Star dressed up as Circus Circus for Halloween and passing out alongside a1a <laughs> like, I thought that was like the best description i just had to read that so who wrote that one 
I uh, I think Matt did. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. he's good at the analogies. <laughs> um, let me ask now. What about surf shops of the future? What do you think they're going to look like? Be like uh, post twenty twenty three? Well, when you you when you ex you texted me that question, and I was yeah. searching around. I have it in one of my old surf magazines, like from. 87 or 88 and it was a surfers alliance ad i don't know if you remember it where they're like on a spaceship and they like typed in you know like or or maybe it was yeah it was certain they could type in something into like a a vending machine and a pair of trunks would pop out (laughs) that different surfers (laughs) you know of different species on it Uh, (laughs) well i think you've already kind of a few years back I think you started to talk about, and and you've said you've kind of describing surf shops are heading this direction now, just like the surf shop can really evolve to be not just or or perhaps less of a supplier of products and more of a service orientated, yeah, um, venue. I think that's, I think that might be it because products it's so much more efficient and effective to to order online you know like if i need a wetsuit i'm not going to take my chances necessarily going into a surf shop because if i go there they might only have you know like one double xl there whereas i can go online and i can look i could do some research and i could hone it down and i could scour the world for the ideal wetsuit and the ideal size so the actual I think it's, but but a surf shop can provide all the different services that um, you can't get online. I I agree. I think I think it's a. It could be. It, there there are many different ways you can go about it. I personally still want to see you know more shops with like almost like a membership, and that you can almost like have access to multiple different boards. My mm-hmm. dream, my dream would be to have the Rick Kane quiver. And have like <laughs> everything from the Olo down to, you know, the layered board, you know, but like, how great would that be? And like, oh, you're starting out, you're going to start out on this board and then you're going to work your way down. So you don't have to invest in buying a board, but you can, uh, you know, pay a subscription basically to use the boards and, you know, work your way into, you know, into the right board for yourself. And then if you want to buy one, eventually you can. Um, I think that is definitely a direction they can go um obviously fixing your boards ding repair wetsuit repair those types of things are are really key i also think mixing in like surf conditioning and health is a is a direction you can add into surf shops everyone is very much like interested in that right now and i think that's a great service to provide wave key in your surf shops would be great wave key classes Mm. (laughs) Well, you know, or, it's interesting. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. or you could go the the Hayden <laughs> the Hayden shapes model, where it's like sterile, all white, and everything is just like, you know. Have you ever have you seen the Hayden surfboard yes. surf shop? It's, it's like almost super like a, modern. A, yeah, it's like well, like a small Apple shop, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is, but. But it it doesn't feel like a place I want to hang out in at all. <laughs> like it feels like oh. No, but I <laughs> Sorry, guess if I you're the type, 
I guess if you were like really loaded and yeah. you wanted that experience of going into just like super high end product, super high end yeah. service, and everything, you know, like, and it's also an experience going in there. You know, kind of like going yeah. into to Pilgrims and experience. You know, it's like or like the other day I went into London. And I went into Liberty. That you remember, you went oh, there. I love Liberty. You. And yeah, and I just walked around it like it was a museum. You know, I um, it's a t- sometimes going into the shop for the experience itself is uh, well, that's that's been happening for years. I, I you know, I it's think inter- that's, oh, that's a, I, I I think there is one thing to discuss is is the the gap between have and have nots in the wealthier surf shops where yeah. you have boards that are you know, up to $2,000 and you have really high-end clothing and all these things. And then you have the surf shop, which is the more nitty gritty. And maybe they have more of the well-known surf brands and they have more affordable boards. Like you're starting to see that divergence between shops also catering Mm -hmm. to a different um, socioeconomic category. Well, I guess that's thing you could, if you imagine like really going the opposite direction of a Hayden Shapes, shop you could have a store which any of the boards that you sell i guess could be or or the boards you could hire you know rent out could be all used secondhand boards and secondhand you have a lot of secondhand stuff you know um secondhand equipment and you know i mean people go through stuff and i know people you know people with money real real shop (laughs) make make like the real real surf shop or one of those like you know where you know, places where you sell your clothing online or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, like um, yeah. like Depop or um, yeah. or Vinted or something like that. And so you could have stuff which is more more secondhand. Well, like in in England, it's much more common than in America to have secondhand clothing stores. Um, yeah, I mean, like every every main street has like four of them on there, and you get stuff for really cheap. And think about it. I mean, like. Like you've just how how often do you give up a wetsuit before it needs to be given up? Yeah, no, it's how, totally how many times I mean, you know like and it's just sitting there, you know, like this. Uh, you can imagine like a place where you could drop it off and not feel guilty about getting rid of your wetsuit. Like so, yeah. that's the thing here in England. Like a lot of times when you just like tired of your clothes and you're like, oh, it's just sitting there. I feel so guilty. No one's gonna buy it for me. But I love to just get rid of it. You bring it to the charity shop. That's what it's called, like a mm-hmm. Salvation Army, and you feel ah guilt free. But then they sell it for, for for cheap. But um, you could have a surf shop which does that with here's the name and surfboards Salvation Surfing Surf Shop. There, there you go. <laughs> the um, there I think jo- Joey Baran could run it. Um, <laughs> Do you follow him on Instagram? By the way, uh, no. Should I? You should. He is all he does is dance. It's hilarious. I it's amazing. He's Baran. quite the dancer. He's quite the dancer. I love him. Is he's he? Great. I gotta check it out. Cause he's every interview, every time he's ever spoken, like he's he's always got a real good sense of humor and he's pretty quick witted and uh yeah. but he's also really, you know, loving as well. <laughs> um, yeah, well the but back to and, and back to um when you were starting to talk in the direction of the different services, you know, like when you go to the wave pool here, it's kind of heading in that direction. Now, this is not something that's geared towards a lower uh, 
economic crowd, I suppose. Yeah. But when you go to the, the wave pool, for just a little bit extra, you could you could try out any of their demo boards. Um, and the wetsuits are free. So like I went down the other day and I couldn't find my hood and it was really cold. I was like, oh, I really hate to spend money on a new hood when I, I know I've got it somewhere. And I said to them, I said, you got to, and they said, yeah, no, here's a hood. You can use like any wetsuit you want. And another time, so you could, and another time I went there and my wetsuit was too thick. So they gave me a three, two for, for free. It's included in the, so that's an example where maybe, uh, the surf shop has a wave pool and they have all, all included in the price. You get, you know, use of equipment. You could test equipment out. Um, and it, it's a bit like a gym already, you know, but, but they could have like a gym there. They could have hot tubs, you know, like all the stuff included, but not, not super high end exclusive, you know, more like a, at a, at a 60 pound an hour, um, rate, you know? Now, let me ask, is Craigslist the best used surfboard store in the world right now? Well, they don't have it outside of... Well, I mean, I don't think oh, anyone in, in the, the U.S. UK has ever even heard oh. of it, so <laughs> I oh, don't know. Gum, well, Gumtree, I imagine, and you know, for all the Australians in London. But um, Craigslist in the U.S., like, it's so funny how mm. it is, like, the ultimate... Like, it's almost like people pride themselves on searching Craigslist and finding a score of, like, a, a really unique board by... You know, really nice board at a good price. Like Craigslist is actually really fascinating, and it's um, how it's affected surf shops because surf shops used to have like a lot more used boards, and a lot of mm. shops did like surf swap sales. And I've no, I noticed over time like it was harder and harder. Like surf shops were not getting as many used boards because you could just sell it on Craigslist or oh. Facebook Marketplace. Or any of these uh, online places now. Wow, shoots down the surf salvation. Uh, yeah, idea. a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> still can work. Still can work. Still can work. Don't worry. But I, th- I think in general, yeah. basically, what you know, kind of said in the introduction, I think what people need is a place to to go to gather a, a sense of community. You know, and it's it's something that after the pandemic, I think everyone woke up to that and they realized how much they like to be around people and like to take part in things. And in the future, I don't know if a surf shop can provide that or a surf club or something has to, I think humans need to, to not just see other surfers in the water. In fact, actually you don't really want to see other surfers in the water, but you like seeing them on land, you know, and and that's the thing when the surf movies stopped, that's why, you know, like in the 90s or the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, everyone was lamenting the, the death of the surf movies. But then you guys and, and other people revamped it with a surf film festival and kind of reimagined the whole yeah. idea of a surf movie. And maybe that's I think it is happening. Like I said, I I can't remember what surf shop it was. But and you've you mentioned, you know, I think surf shops are trying to head in that direction. So maybe that's the future. Do you... Do you think uh when was the golden age of surf surf shops then do you think I suppose it depends on what you think is right you know like like 
in my mind. Profit- you know, like, let's talk like profitability, maybe. You know, <laughs> I don't find that very interesting, though. Like, no. I find profitability like the most boring aspect of it all. Like, I feel like if I picture what like a cool surf shop is to me, I I picture the, yeah. the seventies because in the early sixties it was like almost too Spartan. It was just surfboards, and the, <laughs> and yeah. then in the mid in the mid sixties it must have just been like mayhem because it was just like everyone was jumping on the surf bandwagon yeah in the 80s it started to get a bit plasticky um whereas in the 70s that's when you it was really surfing was a real sub i guess because surfing was a subculture it was a real counterculture in the 70s you know it was that in the 50s and 40s but they didn't have real many surf shops back then so i i would say the 90s 90s for me i think because they were you know, coming out of the early 90s recession, but you had like surfing was kind of, you know, it was popular, but not too popular. You had, it was, you still had to go to a surf shop to get surf clothing and surf wear, but the surf brands were just starting to become really popular, you know, like in mainstream, like they were really hitting their stride. Like in the late 90s, all the surf brands, you know, were on the stock exchange and it was definitely, considered cool but it was still a little bit outcasty you know it was still a little bit on the fringe and and i think the shop still had like that core value that core coreness to it in in some ways um i don't know i think the 90s were for me at least that's also my nostalgia you know <laughs> yeah yeah no that's it that probably imprinted on you and what a surf shop should be you know then and um and you wouldn't have any recollection of what a surf shop was like in the seventies, I guess. Um, well, the eighties, I you, do. Remember? Yeah. Do you do you remember? Our dad used to have like one of the best surf teams in New York. Remember, you they had the surf team meeting. Like mm-hmm. it was. Can you can you describe for our listeners what this was like actually? Because I remember you describing it really well. <laughs> like, it was pretty serious, the surf team meetings, like, and the surf team. Like, I guess the 80s, especially the late 80s, was like a real era of competitive surfing was, like, really important. Like, in the 90s, it, it was important, but it started to branch out into other aspects of surfing. Whereas in the 80s, surf contests was, like, everyone surfed surf contests. And everybody yeah. rode shortboards as well, so it was, like... And so the surf team was like a big deal. Like when you'd go to the surf contest, all the different, I I remember going to a surf contest and seeing the Rick surf team all had like dark blue champion hoodies that all said, you know, Rick surf shop on the back. And then the Bunger team had matching jumpsuits as well. And I know I went back to, to dad and Rich. Oh man, they got, you know, the other teams have these surf outfits. And then I remember Rich Jetty said, oh, we're getting them, you know. And then they got these cheesy island style. Like, it looked like pajamas. <laughs> but it did say sundown on them. And yeah, I remember like going to the, the, the getting allowed to go to the team meeting. And it was it was like a heated, heated uh, staff meeting. It was funny. <laughs> Discussing, you know, like, well, because they were also like the surf shop was trying to, you know, get sponsors for all the surfers, you know, on the team. 
It's like, oh, you got to get more exposure. You got to do better in the ESA contest, guys. You know, <laughs> it's like that type yeah. of talking, I remember. Well, it's interesting. I remember like talking to dad about it and saying, oh, it's interesting, you know, how serious they're all. I think they're all taking it too seriously, all this stuff, all the sponsorship and everything. And dad's saying, well, you know, Jamie, you get your surfboard for free, you know, whereas these guys have to, if they didn't, if they weren't on the team, they'd have to pay for it. You know, this is their way they, they could get their, their equipment for free. And I was like, oh. and clothing and wetsuits <laughs> as well. So it, it, uh, I could see that. <laughs> um, do you want to, I want to run down a list of like notable surf shops that I, I made. Did you do okay. a list as well of shops? No, I didn't want to. Uh, but I don't, oh. maybe I don't know so many as well. I feel like you had Zephyr, which was like a catalyst for modern skateboarding, super mm-hmm. influential, really important with Dogtown. Um, I went to Froggy's surf shop and it was fucking cool. Um, you know, it was a, gr- it's a great shop is, um, surf station in St. Augustine. It's that's funny. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. It's station. such a sick shop. And Tori Strange did such a great job with that place. Like it's welcoming, but the board selection is out of control. It's phenomenal. Um, down the line surf. I really would love to see what a Brothers Nielsen surf shop would look like in person. I always was curious because they sponsored like, you know, Barton Lynch was riding for them. They they were like, I was like his main sponsor for a while. Um, one awful shop that was interesting was the Quicksilver Broadway shop. Had you ever gone into that shop? No. Oh my gosh. Wait. Which one was this? Quicksilver. Oh, in the city. Yes. In, yeah, yeah. Broadway, the city in Times Square. Oh, my God. That was gross. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, essentially, sorry, you were just talking about the yeah. Brothers Nielsen. And I was like, hang yeah. on a second. Didn't they they go out of business? And yeah, in um, 2008, they had. The yeah, I would have loved to have seen them, though. Oh, yeah. Like, it looked like a cool shop. Yeah. Like. I'm curious, like, what are the it shops for Australia, to be honest? Um, listeners, if you are in Australia, send us your favorite surf shops in, in Oz. I, it's something that we are probably not as familiar with. Uh, I think it'd be kind of cool to kind of get uh, some, some ideas and some, some uh, recommendations. Um, so, you know what time it is, Jamie? <laughs> yes. Do you know what time it is? It's time for Stump, Stump, Stump My, my bro. bro. So, um, got your questions ready? I have a couple, but All uh, right. yeah, I'm not as I don't know my questions. I don't know if that the, something about this. I was like the surf shop is almost like so factual that I, I struggled to get like a really good one, but, uh, but, but I got a couple of them. What have you? All right. Got? And I've got a few. Um, you want me to go first or you want to go first? Uh, age before beauty. First. You, you usually yeah. go first. I'll go first. All right. Um, who copyrighted the name surf shop for their surf shop and made it like, no, you can't call your surf shop. this. What? 
We got a copyright for this. I don't know this one. This is fascinating. Tell me this story because I don't know this one. <laughs> well, it was Jack O'Neill. Wow. Um, yeah, for his <laughs> his surf shop was called in in 1960. Well, he had the surf shop in uh, San Francisco first, but then he opened his dive in Santa sports. Cruz. Yeah. No dive and like surf. No, no dive like dive Dive and Surf was the Maestro Brothers um, and uh, and uh, Bev Morgan, I think. Okay. Um, and the, you know, which eventually became Body Glove. Um, but uh, he had, uh, it was just called Surf Shop. So he said, "Well, that's my shop, so I would call it Surf." But uh, I don't think they uh, stuck to that. <laughs> That'd be interesting to see the the cease and desist. I know. I know. <laughs> Okay. Um, who is John from Ron John? Oh, it's, it's I read this today. It's I it's John Sporadova or something like that. And he was so Ron Demena, who mm-hmm. they should make a TV program out of, about him apparently yeah, if they can find out the information. So in New Jersey, is it uh, in Shipbottom? I think it was. He he was in his like mid twenties and. He started the surf shop with this guy who was still in high school, I think, like an eighteen-year-old. And but eventually, John, you're gonna have to say the name in a minute. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, he eventually just left it. You know, he said no, and he said, and years later, he said, well, I, I couldn't see myself living in a surf shop, spending the yeah. rest of my life sitting in a surf shop. Yeah, that's it. Um, how do you say his name? I can't. I can't even. <laughs> Trouble saying you it. haven't. You haven't written down though. I. 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 I don't actually. I just. <laughs> just oh, so what? Was, what yeah. did you? What were you gonna say? I had. I read that it was. Uh, it was Demena's son named John. That's what I found. Also. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I was just reading about it on the EOS Interesting. today. Yeah. It's Where so did weird. you get that from? Uh, Surfer Today. I think I saw it. Dubious oh. sight. That was that was. Wait a I, minute. I remember reading that. yours, but I remember reading yours also. Okay, I, me- I remember reading say, that too. Yeah. Hang on a second. Did you try to stump me, and I had to tell you what? <laughs> it was both. <laughs> okay, but here's the here's a bonus one. What was okay. Ron Demena's alias? Oh. I don't know. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's something to do with dynamite? Like, does it have something to do <laughs> he with did dynamite? Love dynamite? No, but he did love dynamite. He loved to set those off in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. We know about, well, also, apparently, he, he got busted. I think he had yeah. to do time for selling dynamite to like a motorcycle gang. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Well, no, they thought he did, apparently. He denies oh, really? it, but yeah. Um, Joey Norton. Joey Norton, I was a.k.a. Joey, Joey Norton. Norton. <laughs> oh, he's an alias. It wasn't a nickname. Yeah, it was, it was an like... alias. It was an alias. He went by. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Go for that it. That is very cool. Uh, All right. <laughs> All right. So this surfer, um, he was the European surf champion in 1968. Oh my god! And he ended up opening one of the the longest running surf shop chains in Australia. I think there's still about four, 
four surf shops, you know, that he started. Um, they're they're in his name. Um, he he's no longer with us. Um, and the yeah, is it but Francois? He, he was... was it Francois Peyo or France? Oh, forgetting the last name, the guy who died oh, on the boat, the Quicksilver guy. Oh no. um no uh Pierre Agnès no. Agnès sorry. sorry yeah no sorry. I don't know how to say his name I heard it recently and it wasn't yeah. what I thought um okay. no it wasn't him okay I don't know this I'm uh, stumped Bob Cooper oh shit the Bob Cooper the I great didn't know he won Europe from... Europe damn oh, yes gosh. he uh. So he he'd uh, gone over to Australia in I think '64 and stayed there for a year and a half or two years. Yeah. Then he, um he went back to California and then he traveled to the UK and I think it was in the UK where he entered it, but I'm not sure. But he he won the European Surf Championships and he he met his wife Wills and uh, I think she was Dutch and then mm-hmm. they moved to Australia and he opened up Cooper Surf Shop in Coffs Harbor. And there's a half hour documentary on YouTube, I think, that you can watch as an interview with him and Wills uh, soon, shortly before he passed away. And uh, wow. it was he had massive for surf shops, you know. Yeah, Shoot. that was him. All right. This is a two parter. Okay. Who is considered the first lady of surfing? Was it Nancy Caton? Yes. Now. <laughs> The second part, what? Oh, you're laughing. I got it sure. so quickly. That's what I'm laughing. I know. All right. <laughs> Who is the teenager that entered Canvas by Caton's shop to ask them for a short that they could surf in? Oh, and that's what got it started. Yeah. <sighs> I do remember reading this, but I. It's Mike Doyle? Nope. (laughs) Fuck yeah, I stumped you, motherfucker. All right. Stumping. Corky Carroll. Corky Carroll. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) How did he say it? (laughs) Hey, guys. You really, I need you to make some shorts, some board shorts for me. (laughs) Hey, man. Hey, man. Bitching. It's bitching. Need some bitching, bitching board shorts. (laughs) <laughs> and that's how she got started yes yeah that's how oh, that's how it all got that's started cool. actually because they were just doing canvases you know for boats and everything that were waterproof and um right corky came in saying hey you know wearing denim shorts they keep falling apart you know after i surf by the time i'm done surfing i'm almost naked i need something that can handle weather and be and work in um you know in the water and that's how it kind of got started. Oh, that would be uh, uh, where surfing in denim. Oof. That remember actually that was like a little bit of a trend in like the two thousands hipster surfers. You know, they'd ride in denim, like matchwear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, balls would be just chafed. Yeah, Oof. I remember as like a little kid peeing in my pants, and you know, the denim was really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> any any more i'm i'm out uh, that was, uh, that was my last well, i got one. one more but that i did right. i this one i didn't know but i wanted to know the answer to this so it was a yeah. research so this is not something that I, usually i already know the answers but um so 
well, according to the article I read in Men's Journal, uh, what was the the first girls, you know, women only surf shop? Uh, what was it called? Who started it? And when was it? Ooh. Oh gosh. Um, was it Surf Divas <laughs> in La Jolla? Yeah. No, but no. The, but that is that was mentioned in the article. Uh, I don't know. It, this. it was it was Water Girl in Encinitas in 1996, started by Ooh. I hope I pronounced the name correctly, Alona Wood Anderley, I think, and um. And yeah, she's you know she she wanted to have a shop that you know catered towards women, and she could watch her daughter while she was working there. And she had a Water Girl newsletter. Apparently, she even battled a clothing company that used anti-girl slogans. Uh, I didn't wow. find the name of the company. It's um, you know, it's interesting. There was this trend in like the late '90s, um, where it was they were there was it was really like a lot of surf shops started to have girl shops within the shop they'd have a, a girl surf shop within the surf shop and it was like a section but it was like all catered towards female surfers like uh surf station did this for a little while um even our dad's shop i remember rich jetty our dad's manager would be like we're gonna open a girl surf shop within the shop you know and have boards and everything catered towards them you know it was it was like so a real like interesting- east coast surfer uh pull out yeah. and, uh... <laughs> yes exactly exactly uh that's a good one well um oh, now before we sign off i have yes. to make a correction all right from the from the last uh episode which was uh, ages are ago. you correcting me are you correcting no, me? no i'm correcting me i'm correcting right. me um uh it was about g-land now that i got the book you know i found out the yeah. whole story and so I, I said, you know, was, was who was the first person to, to ride away to surf G-Land? And I said it was Abdul. Hmm. Otherwise, his original name, I think Warren, ah, what was it? Warren Anderson, I think was his real hmm. name. But he was it's on Anderson. the first trip. But the first person to ride away was Bob Jones, yeah. who was with them. And then I said that... Um, you know, all the art- the article I'd written read previously was written by Bill Boyum about he and Bob Lafferty had uh, discovered it first and surfed it first. Well, that trip did actually happen. You know, Bob Lafferty did come on land and meet up with uh, Bob Jones and uh, Ray and Abdul. And I said, you know, like ah, but they they didn't mention Bill Boyum, so I don't know what the truth is. But in the book, they do say that Bill Boyum did join Bob Lafferty on that trip so he was there for that but um, alright anyway that's I just wanted to correct what I said but uh, yeah this is a really good that, book yeah the new G-Land book Ooh, yeah it's beautiful get it listeners it's a fucking awesome book it's stunning yeah, plowing through it Ooh. well um we got another episode in the bag and uh well, well, we've got to think of another topic for the next uh, episode. And um, listeners, thank you for listening. And um, we'll uh, see you all down the line soon, I guess, right? Yep. All right. Hasta la pasta.
Let the music be your master Will you hear 